We are now going to get to our message this morning. So go ahead and get your Bibles out, get your notebooks ready, and get ready to hear a word from God this morning. Restoration Church, I apologize for that. Great to uh, see you all here today and excited to, um, excited to preach God's word to you. My name is Nate Gagney. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church. And one thing that we do at Restoration Church is uh, every year we, we, don't know, we, we receive your tithes. We also receive your kingdom builders gifts, which are, uh, which are uh, financial gifts that go toward global missions projects, local church expansion, and raising up future Christian leaders. We set, uh, we set a goal uh, for 2021 of $150,000. Before service started today, we were $2,539 away from hitting that goal. We are right there on the brink of it, which is very exciting. So someone at one of our locations here, Dover, Plymouth, online, someone today, write a check for that. $2,539.92. Let's hit that goal. And then uh, we've got a few weeks and Christmas Eve service to get beyond it, um, which is amazing, amazing, amazing. We shared on our Facebook group this week that over the last two years, we've added 13 new missionaries and nonprofit organizations that we're supporting through your tithes. Kingdom Builders is even above and beyond that. And uh, it's amazing, amazing. It's so exciting to be a part of this and everything that God's doing. Well, if you're here in Dover, could you smile at me? That would be helpful. Let me know. I know I muted my mic, but don't hold it against me. Um, let's, let's relax. Let's have a good time. And let's look at scripture together. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a famous story here, but let's do a little recap of last week and kind of an overview of the whole series. Throughout scripture, those who are following God and those who are following Jesus are told to love, but not in a generic sense. They're told specifically some areas and some groups of people that they must love. And we've been looking at those specific things in this series. And last week, we had a conversation about the scriptural mandate for Christians to love other Christians. And it would seem like this should be common sense, common knowledge, this should be easy, but it isn't really common knowledge, um, or at least maybe we know it, but we don't live it. And um, you potentially, you know, if you've gone to church long enough, maybe you've experienced some hurt within the church. Someone within church 
treated you poorly, someone within church, another person who called themselves a Christian, um, spoke to you wrongly, attacked you. Uh, it happens. It happens. It happens too frequently. And, um, you know, even at Restoration Church, I love our church. I've been part of, I've been part of Restoration Church for over 35 years now. Uh, there's been different people who've come and gone through the years who had the title Christian, but they, but they didn't love other Christians. They didn't treat other Christians well. And we have that privilege of hearing scripture, of yielding the scripture. And then if we've made mistakes in the past, we have that great privilege of being repentant and going to the cross of Jesus Christ and being forgiven. And if you were someone who've, who has been mistreated by another Christian in the past, you have that great privilege of forgiving them. You don't have to remain in your hurt or your pain or your sorrow or your anger or your bitterness. You can Forgive. You can forgive. So we have to, we don't have the choice to love other Christians here within our own church. Here, you know, whether it's different departments, you know, the senior citizens, are they going to love the teenagers? Yes. They don't have a choice. The teenagers, are they going to love the babies? Yes. They don't have a choice. Scripture calls us to that. Within, uh, no matter what uh, even denomination that you're in, if we agree as Jesus as God's son, that he was born of a virgin and that he is the only way that man can be saved, we must love each other. Not every church and not every person who professes they're a Christian believes that. But if they do, we will be together in heaven. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we must love each other. We must. So what about those who are not Christians? How should we treat them? How do we respond to those maybe who, who you know, they're not, they, they don't hate us maybe, but they don't believe like us. There are a few different places in scripture, a few different people who write about this in scripture. One man by the name of Moses recorded this in Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 18. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And he was relaying a message from God. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to write and challenge people to live even beyond that. Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the, the one who left heaven. We, you know, we celebrate that part of, of his story uh, every Christmas. That he, being fully divine, left heaven 
and put on flesh and became one of us in a rescue mission for us, to have relationship with us, to, to offer forgiveness for us, to take our punishment. He spoke about this as well. A few different places in scripture you can read about it, but there's one detailed account that is found in Luke chapter 10. So I want to read this to you. So if you can look down at your scripture to verse number 25. And this is a dialogue between Jesus and another man that was recorded. So one day an expert in religious law. So he was, he was a scholar. He was very detailed. He had, you know, like PhD in scripture. He stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied with a few questions of his own. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And he, he thought he was really kind of putting, you know, putting the screws on Jesus. He, he thought that, that he was, you know, and one thing he was thinking, all right, well, if you're going to hold me to this, and let's define what a neighbor is, because, um, because I treat the other the other religious leaders and the other scholars of the law, I treat them very well. What's the definition we're going to use? This was the ancient equivalent. This question, and who is my neighbor? This is the ancient equivalent to this meme. I don't know if you've seen this. God says, love one another. Us, we say, okay, but what if? And God says, did I stutter? Love your neighbor. Yes, but what if my neighbor thinks differently than me, believes differently than me, spends differently than me, looks differently than me, acts differently than me? What if they do this, 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 and this, and God says, did I stutter? So scripture says, love your neighbor. And the guy says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell this, this famous parable and a parable is a fictional story, but that has a spiritual truth. So Jesus is telling a fictional story, but what he's doing is laying out this deep, convicting spiritual truth. And we want to allow it to convict us to the, this morning. Sometimes conviction is a thing that we avoid, but when we're following Jesus and our heart is for Jesus, conviction is a great thing, not always a comfortable thing. But it's a great thing because it allows us to follow him more fully. It allows us to follow him uh, in, in a more fulfilling way. And it allows us in that process to become more like him. These are all things that if we're truly following him, these are things that we want. So let's look down now at verse number 30 and, and we'll, we'll read the story that Jesus shares. Jesus replied and he said, a Jewish man 
And the, these were two Jewish men talking to each other. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him dead, half dead, beside the road. By chance, a priest came along who would also have been a Jewish man. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over who was also a Jewish man. He looked at the man lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. This is not a Jewish man. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now Jesus looks at this scholar of religious law and he begins to speak to him directly and he says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And so the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Here's this guy, brilliant, educated. He asked this question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to lay out and expand a definition of neighbor that honestly probably made this guy sorry that he asked. He was looking to justify his actions and how he acted and, and, and believed. And now Jesus was pushing him way beyond what he felt was comfortable, what he thought was necessary, and what he thought God wanted. And if we, you know, we don't know what the guy chose, but I think it's safe to assume that he walked away and went to all his friends and said, you guys are all right, that Jesus, he's a nutcake. He's way off. He's a heretic. He was telling me to love a Samaritan. And they all would have laughed and gone crazy and yelled and frothed at the mouth. Love a Samaritan? This account is it, it really, it's a clear account. Uh, you know, we're not speaking about this today, but, but it's an account that's, that's often preached to, to make sure that there is not racism within the body of Jesus. Within a church, that we, that we are not people who hold racist biases in our heart or, or who try to exclude other ethnicities, nationalities, or, or races from our congregations. What was going on here was a, was a story about racism. And, it was, and it, was, it was changing this idea. The Jewish people weren't willing to help the Jewish people, but the Samaritan, whom the Jewish people hated, they were the ones willing to help.
All right, I apologize for the thunder and lightning. Um, the, the, there's a Samaritan. So let me ask you this question. Do you love your neighbor? I mean, love your neighbor and, and uh, you begin to think through, um, I love that neighbor, not that neighbor. You begin to think, yeah, I love my neighbors. Yeah, I mean, I baked them Christmas cookies, no problem. I do that once a year. I interact with them. I, I love my neighbor. Jesus here, there's one thing that he's teaching us as followers of him that probably we don't think about, all right? Your neighbor can be anonymous. Your neighbor can be someone that you've never interacted with before and maybe that you'll never interact with again because the, the Samaritan man took care of his neighbor, which was a Jewish man who, who hated him, a Jewish man he'd never met before. And the Jewish man, they had no obligation to help. Your neighbor, it can be anonymous. Sometimes people begin to, can make statements like this. Uh, we have enough problems in our own country. Why are we doing kingdom builders projects in other countries? We gave $12,000 to the Cuba Bible College to help raise up pastors in Cuba. Why would we do that? We have enough problems in our own country. We live in the most unchurched state in the United States. Why are we raising up missionaries in, in, and sending them to other countries? Shouldn't we be using that money to raise up more missionaries here in our own state? We've, we don't have a choice to define who our neighbor is. We've got a call from Jesus to help those in need. How do you love those who you do not know? In your family, in your life, how do you love the neighbors you haven't met yet? Now, we can continue on here really to begin to understand like you... you not every neighbor's a stranger, all right? There are neighbors you do know, neighbors that can be known. And we're called to love those neighbors as well. And so who is your closest neighbor? Who is your closest neighbor? This is a trick question that I'll give you the answer for because someone will try to trick you with it later on in life. Who is your closest neighbor? If you're married, your closest neighbor is your spouse. If you're a teenager living at home, your closest neighbor could be your sibling that you're sharing a bedroom with. It could be your parents. If you're single, your closest neighbor could be your roommate, obviously. But if you're married, your closest neighbor is your spouse. How are you loving your neighbor? And the question we begin to ask is, how are you treating those who are in closest proximity to you? Sometimes in a family relationship, how we treat our spouse, how we treat as teenagers, how we treat our parents, as parents, how we treat our children. Sometimes those who we love the most, we treat the worst. You speak kindly 
to the person you've never met before, but you cuss at and speak rudely to the person you're sharing life with. We are called to love our neighbor. Jesus follower can't be this way for us. You're following Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. That must live out and play out in the way you talk to your spouse, in the way you talk to your children, in the way you interact with your roommate. Loving your neighbor is a requirement in the home and in your apartment and in every area of your life. Second thing that we see here in this scripture that we don't want to miss is that love requires action. It's easy to say we love people. It's easy to say we have love for people. And then it's very, it's very easy not to do anything about it. Love requires us to do something. The, the Jewish priest would say, you know, I, I, I love Jewish people, but does he really if he's not willing to help the man who's injured and hurt? The temple assistant says, I love the Jewish people, but does he really if he's not stepping in and being willing to help? The Samaritan person I mean, there was a great uh, divide between Jewish people and Samaritan people. Very, very few Samaritans would have said, I love Jewish people. Very few Jewish people would say, I love the Samaritan people. But yet, the Samaritan sees a man bloodied, beaten, and naked, picks up the naked man and places him on his donkey, pays for his needs, helps to bring healing in his life. It was an action to it. We must be people of action. We have to participate in rescuing people, in bringing healing to people, in providing for people, the, the, the big criticism of the American church, the church that exists in our country, is that people just are consumers of church. Some, in some churches, they, they wear suits and fancy dresses and they go to church. And when they leave church, they go out to eat at restaurants and mistreat their waiters and their waitresses. In some culture, in some places, people show up to church and they raise their hands and they open their big Bibles and then they go home and, and, they, and, and, and there's abuse in the home. In some, in some people's lives, they show up to church and they check it off on the box, but they never give, they never serve, they never read their Bible, they, they never participate in what God's doing. 
And the rest of the week, there's no difference at all in their life to every other person in their life who doesn't go to church. The, the language behind this is consumer Christians, that they're just consuming a product and they're not actually following Jesus. It's to communicate and put big ornaments on your front lawn for Christmas that say love and never actually acting on that love. If you don't have action, then you don't actually love, right? If I tell my kids, I love you, I love you, I love you, and never ever interact with them. If I tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, but never put any action into serving her for caring for her, then I don't actually have love. When I love, I act. In Leviticus, uh, well, look at verse number seven, uh, verse number 37. Then Jesus said, uh, he said to the Jewish scholar, now go and do the same. Do. There's action. You need to be purveyors, carriers of mercy to people. Moses, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, there's action there. How do you love yourself? You clothe yourself, you feed yourself, you bathe yourself. To love is, is not to neglect. And if, we, if we're neglecting others, we're not loving them. Loving is to serve. Love is to give. Love is not just to say I'm praying for you, but to actually stop and pray for them. Love requires action. There's one promise in all of this, and I'll have the bands come up at every location. There's one promise in this that we don't, that we don't wanna miss. First off, I think we talked about this last week, you know, our motivation in everything is not for the rewards God's gonna give us. Our motivation in everything that we do is because of the love of Jesus that we've received. Because I received love from him, I extend love toward others. But there is a promise here that we find in the book of Proverbs that, our, that, that loving your neighbor is something that God rewards when we are putting action and we're loving our neighbor in practical ways, God rewards us for that. Proverbs 19, verse number 17, it says, if you help the Lord, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. That is one scripture of probably a dozen that speak toward a similar thing. Love. Last week, love one another. A little easier to do, you know? We, 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 we believe similarly. We've all experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus, but now we're gonna love our neighbor. Maybe people who've hated us. Maybe groups of people who hate us. But we're still gonna love them and serve them. Treat them well, treat them with dignity, treat them with mercy. God will take care of our needs. 
as we're helping to care for them. If you ever help someone and they misuse it, I think that's sometimes an excuse of why we can't help people. I want to, uh, and I kind of point back at this scripture we just read. First off, you haven't been stolen from, all right? And I know what that feeling's like. But to know this, God still rewards you for your motivation. So if you go to help someone and, and they conned you, they conned you out of 20 bucks, they conned you out of some money, God still rewards you for that, for your motivation. Now learn from next time. All right, we, we, you know, we use wisdom and, and, how, we're, and how we're helping. And, but we, we don't decide, I tried that once, that person used me, so I'll never help another neighbor in the future. This is something that we're not forced to do, but that we have the privilege of doing, loving our neighbor. And through this, one major prayer for us is that others will see and experience the goodness of God through our life and interaction with us. And we must remember that they are seeing the love of Jesus through our love toward them. We close your eyes, let me pray for you. Jesus, big, big things here that you put in scripture and that you're calling us to love one another. Hard, but I think we can figure it out. But love our neighbor. You're, you're kind of making this a bit more difficult. Can we just keep to ourselves? Can we just huddle up inside our church buildings and and just worry about ourselves and let the world do whatever the world is doing? Why do you call us to this? I think about this, Jesus. You came to us before we were one of you. You came to us, you died on the cross for us before we made a commitment to you. And you know what? You died on the cross for those who will ultimately reject you. You died on the cross and offered forgiveness to those who won't receive it, but you still died on the cross for them. You loved them first. And so before our neighbors ever love us, we will love them first. The Samaritan didn't say, it's a Jewish man, I'm not gonna help him until Jewish people start loving Samaritan people. No, he stepped out and he loved we're not going to wait for the world to love us or accept us or, or acknowledge us. But we're just going to love with the love of Christ. And I just pray, Lord, man, that you just work in our heart. Help us to forgive. Help us to have faith that you will uh, provide for our needs. And help us to just be obedient to the things that you call us to do in the weeks, years, and decades to come. Jesus. Of course, we don't want to forget and acknowledge that we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord and our Savior and our Redeemer and our friend. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to your feet. Let's sing together for a moment.